0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, if you remember back to the 2016 presidential election, polls had Hillary Clinton ahead in the final week in the national polling, but also in key battleground states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And we do know what the results turned out to be. But some polling had Clinton winning the popular vote by about three points, which was pretty close to what happened. So how much stock do we put in polling in general? And maybe should there be some consideration to tweaking the system? Adi Weiner's professor of statistics at the Wharton School, and he's also faculty lead of the Wharton Sports Analytics and Business Initiative. You also hear him as one of the hosts of Wharton Moneyball every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Eastern time here on Sirius XM 132. Hi, Adi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Dan? Good to hear. Uh, I'm you. I'm hanging in best we can. I, I will say, Adi, that, that I think like a lot of people, my eyes kind of opened up four years ago when, you know, some of the dynamics that were were put in play in terms of the polling numbers and such didn't play out the way that, that they are expected. So is the current system, does it need to be tweaked?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of market pressure to try to get it to be as accurate as possible. So when you say need to be tweaked, tweaked, everybody's been working as hard as they can. Um, I think there's, there's two things that we should be clear about. First of all, there's the estimates that come out of the polling. So those are your, your fractions, uh, if you will, that are going to vote for each, each candidate. And then there's the, the date that you take that data, and that's a random variable because it depends on who you sampled and who you included, and then you take that number, that data, and then you try to figure out, well, what's the probability that each candidate wins? and that's the hard part. <laughs> That's the real hard part, because there's a lot of sampling variation, first of all. Second of all, it's very hard to forecast who's actually going to show up. And secondly, you don't really know what people are actually going to do just because you have, a, you have the answers of some fraction of the population in the a, in a, in a question. So before the 2016 election, the, the, the pundits, if you will, didn't really know what to make of the data. The, the, the data said that Hillary Clinton had a kind of a Big, big lead. Now, and yeah. the question is, what do you do with that information? On the popular vote level, as you mentioned, well, the, the information is a- accurate. There's just no way that, that Trump was going to have a chance of winning the popular vote because that was understood extremely well. But the electoral college is decided by margins that are much, much smaller, and there was a huge amount of uncertainty in that. So there were some pundits who were saying 99.9% Hillary Clinton. So given the data, I'm 99.9% confident that Hillary will win. The New York Times came out with 93%. Nate Silver, admirably at 538, said that he just kind of scratched his head and said, I don't know. There's something we're missing here, and our system isn't capturing it. And I'm kind of walking back from that, that extreme forecast. And not, not because he thought that Hillary Clinton wasn't going to win, he just was suspicious about the data. And right. I made the same points on Moneyball um, radio show that I was also very suspicious there was something we were missing. Roll down here, are we still missing it? I think we're probably trying to do a better job now, but I don't know what has been done to change that, and uh, I still think it's a it's an uncertain market. Well,
0: and, and I think part of the reason why that is kind of in play right now is if you go back four years, the the projected lead that Hillary Clinton had in terms of uh, you know the voting numbers was like seven to ten percent. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the ballpark that Joe Biden is apparently in right now. And maybe it's, you know, just the correlation element of it. But there is some concern that of whether or not there are elements that that are being missed again.
1: Well, there's two things that make it hard. Well, first of all, um, I just one one thing is just, so the, there's the actual estimates that come from the data, the polling data. And that seems to show, as you indicate, pretty big leads for Biden as as they did for Hillary Clinton. But then there's the betting markets, and the betting markets are much more hopeful, will, hopeful or much have much more money on Trump than, than than you would given the the gaps in the in the in the polling. So there's right. something about this uh, this polling that that general that the betters um, generally are 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 not believing. But nobody knows what to do about it. I mean, you, if I wish, I wish I had an answer. I mean, I think there's much more close attention being played to the. Uh, to the, uh, paid to the states that, that, are, that, are, that are more um, battleground, if you will, because that's frankly where, where matter what matters, what happens in California, New York, New Jersey, although they huge numbers of uh, voters and they contribute outsized to the popular vote, they're all, those three states are going 50-plus to Biden with near certainty. So you, can, you really care about the, the places where the, the election is close, and, and you also care about the correlation, and that's the part that makes it hard. The basic idea is, one battleground state goes one way; you can expect most of them to go the same way. You don't expect them to behave independently. Whatever you're missing, you're probably missing equally in every place, and that adds the that's where the uncertainty really comes from. And I think that's where most modelers get it wrong, because they treat the result in Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania as if as if independently random. But that's not the case.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned a moment ago about as part of the the, the polling process. Uh, is who you talk to. And and the dynamic of who you talk to, I I think, is also interesting in the scope of this digital culture that we're in. Uh, You know, Obviously, there are not as many uh, traditional old landline phones as there used to be. There's more smartphones. And the question of whether or not people will take the call, uh, I I know I'm somebody with my smartphone. I'm very averse to taking calls from numbers that I don't know just because I'm used to so many spam calls of people trying to sell me things.
1: You've you put your finger on exactly why it's hard. It's very hard to get a representative sample that's avoided, that, that avoids what we call selection bias. And in your particular case, you're talking about non-response bias. The people who don't respond, uh, arguably, are very different than people who respond. Uh, we try to control for that in, in, in using statistical means. So you ask questions of the people who you respond, and then you try to, and you know questions about, you know answers about the demographics, if you will, of the electorate, and you try to make adjustments. But that's, that's statistical. It's, it's hard. It's uncertain. And it produces results that are unreliable um, or questionably reliable. So, yeah, this is a, this is a brave new world. One, would, one, one might wonder that the whole approach of using telephones is, is, is outmoded and we need to use other techniques. problem with other techniques is they're expensive.
0: We're joined by Adi Weiner, a statistics professor at the Wharton School. You also hear him as uh, one of the hosts of Wharton Moneyball every Wednesday here on Sirius XM 132. One of the other things that obviously will be in play, I think, in the in the in the weeks ahead was the belief that as we got closer to the election four years ago, there was a larger number of undecided voters and they obviously broke for President Trump, you know, significantly four years ago it it feels like we're in, we're in a situation where there may not be as many undecided voters as we had 4 years ago because of this political division that we have in the country right now
1: um i wish that I, I i my my gut says that's probably true we've had 4 years to watch trump um and therefore we know much more there was a lot of uncertainty about what kind of president he would be 4 years ago um, and there was a lot of attention paid to scandal, if you will. Yeah. Um, now there's actual policy that you can focus on, and I think that probably is right that their people are uh, are more likely to be decided by this by this point which way they're going. But you know, it's not like it's a, it's a it's not like like it's not like we don't know enough about Biden. We're still wondering about Biden. Not that he doesn't have a long career, but there's. Clear question mark. So one of the things that I think is important going forward is that it's still another month, uh, two months or not quite two months to the election. A lot can happen. And that's something that that is something that is mistaken. It's somehow the people generally believe that the challenge right now is figuring out who would win as if the election election were tomorrow. But I think that's a mistaken belief. This is there's two months to go. And even though people are mostly decided, people can and do change their minds. And that's important, and I think that happened in the famous election where Dewey versus Truman, Um, and I think that is where Truman convinced people in the last two weeks to to vote for him. Um, I don't think that was a sampling promise, the famous blown election call, where the forecasts all said that Dewey was going to win, but in fact Truman won. Um, I, I think that people can and will change their mind, and they're going to react to things that happen in the next few months.
0: Right. And, and we still haven't had any debates between the two candidates to this point to have them kind of go head to head and really talk about a lot of the issues as well.
1: No, that's right. There's no debates, but I don't think debates are what's going to change people's minds. Although it could be because it could be a terrible performance yeah. um, by, by either candidate. I don't think by Trump. I think, I think, I think we know what we're going to get from Trump no matter what. We've seen him enough. But I think that a great performance from Biden will change people's minds and a terrible performance from Biden's can change people's minds, which I think is why he's avoiding the idea of a, a debate, because I think from um, Pareto optimality suggests that he should simply avoid it. Um, that's one thing that I would... Uh, but on the other hand, there, uh, the national events can matter. Yeah. I mean, what, if you think about it, what could change people's minds in some, some way? Um, and I would argue potentially, uh, uh, potentially as I think it's highly unlikely, but the unveiling of a vaccine that yeah. people... Believe would work. You could ride that to some benefit. Um, a complete tanking of the economy could be bad uh, sure. for Trump. Um, yeah, uh, you can think about things on, on all sides that could really change people's minds.
0: Adi, thanks very much for your time. I have to end it there. So we're at the top of the hour. Thanks very much, as always, Adi Weiner from the Wharton School and also one of the co-hosts of Wharton Moneyball every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM 132.